Welcome to Journaling with Nature, the podcast for those who want to turn curiosity into wonder, a pencil sketch into a rabbit hole of discovery, a moment of stillness into a life full of joy. I'm your host, Bethan Burton. Let's open the pages of our nature journals and explore this world together. Hello, this is episode 94. It's good to be back with you. I took last week off from releasing a podcast because I was feeling in need of a little break after the busyness of International Nature Journaling Week and everything that's happened since then. But I'm feeling re-energized and excited to begin again. And this re-energizing effect has been in part a result of my conversation with today's guest, author and nature guide, David Lucas. David is someone I've wanted to interview for a while now. I found out about his work through his online collaborations with John Muir Laws and Marley Pfeiffer. I've also been following his YouTube channel and his approach to using words and playing with words as a way of connecting with nature really intrigued me. So I reached out to him and after a lot of arranging and rearranging of schedules, we got it together to have a conversation and Wow, the conversation with David kind of scrambled the wiring of my brain. We talked about language and nature and all sorts of topics. I had this weird sensation of wanting to talk about everything all at once, and I ended up rambling a bit and being less articulate than I wanted to be. But luckily, it didn't matter because I think David understood my meaning most of the time. (laughs) There were so many concepts to explore, and after our conversation ended, we both agreed that we could have spoken for hours more about this shared love of language and how it can be used to explore the natural world. Let's listen. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm looking forward to chatting. Thank you. Did I introduce myself? Yeah, go ahead. So I'm David Lucas. Uh, I am a freelance naturalist from the West Coast of North America uh, in the Pacific Northwest. And I have been doing natural history my entire life. So I look forward to talking with you today. That's amazing. And in in fact, my first question with all my guests is Mm -hmm. always about where it started and whether nature journaling in particular or nature connection Mm-hmm. And natural history, in your case, yeah. uh, was part of childhood. Yes, absolutely. So I have a pretty unusual story, I think, um, in that I started when I was five years old, memorizing pictures and field guides. And I was just kind of like this crazy, self-driven little human that <laughs> was just like a little engine studying natural history my entire life. I mean, uh, so I started by memorizing all the pictures and field guides. And then when I could read, I memorized all the text. Uh, and, uh, my dad is a marine biologist. So I grew up around the marine laboratories that he was working in. Um, I don't think I learned anything specifically from that, but, uh, I did love playing around the laboratories and all the tanks and all the research and stuff. And, um, so then I was outside all the time when I was a kid looking at pictures and then trying to find what I found in the pictures and try to understand what I was finding. And by the time I was eight years old, Um, I had joined scientific societies and was getting scientific journals and I was modeling my own little field research projects after the, you know, the, the, you know, the testing that you would see in a paper, the discussion, the analysis, the, you know, research results, writing my own little research papers. And at that age, I was like, I am going to be a professor of zoology and, um, get a PhD. And that was my life goal. And basically, I I grew up in a tiny little fishing village on the coast of Oregon, and uh, no one else liked me, no life experience with anyone else like me. And I basically Mm -hmm. invented the idea of a naturalist from scratch. I had no idea. I just like, this is what I am. This is who I am. And then I discovered Charles Darwin and got an idea idea that there were other people, that this was something people did. And I was so excited to discover that being a naturalist was a thing and it fit exactly what I had created in my mind. So that was just, I just took off like a rocket ship after that and just did. And I've done that my entire life. I still do that decades later, still study field guides every single day. <laughs> That's incredible. That, yeah. that, 
that inner drive that you had mm-hmm. that that and even that you there wasn't necessarily like naturalists wandering around your town that y- you you just knew that inherently yeah i mean where does that come from i have no idea um and i feel very very fortunate i mean basically from the age of five on i've been like a laser beam <laughs> focused on this and that's all i've done with my entire life to the extent of like dropping out of college and never working a real job to just be in the field every day studying natural history. Um, just an incredible focus. Um, so, uh, I mean, you want more of this, more of the story yeah, probably. Tell me the story. Yeah, yeah. So, so in terms of like going from that wide eyed five-year-old mm-hmm. to being a freelance naturalist how did yeah. how did how did your career progress yeah that's a great question uh so i was so focused on the academic i mean from the earliest realization that that was a way people were it was like phds yeah. academics professors really rigorous science i was like so laser focused on that i spent my entire childhood and high school years preparing to get in the best colleges and and just being a incredibly astute scientist and knowing the scientific method. And then I got to college and just hated the way they taught biology. Yeah, because I was always this weird mix of really rigorous science and kind of like freelance, free spirit, walking around Mm -hmm. the world, naturalist, you know, and I got to college and it was just strict laboratory work. And I hated the way that they compartmentalized and divorced you from the natural world in college. And uh, so I dropped out. And then I had like, uh, yeah, I dropped, I just totally, actually I flunked out and they kicked me out of school. Mm. Uh, uh, (laughs) um, And then I just had a crisis of identity. Like, how can I focus my passion? What can I do? And then I discovered working on field research projects. So I started traveling around the world, working on field research projects or traveling around the United States, working on all these different projects. And then I heard about a professor at Harvard University that was studying orangutans in Borneo. So I hitchhiked across the United States, walked into his office in Boston and said, take me with you to Borneo. Oh, wow. And and he did. I went there for 13 months uh, working on a field research project in Borneo. And then from there, I went to the Amazon, worked for the Smithsonian. And then I started leading tours, natural history tours in Central America. So I was able to find a way to still stay in nature every day, but you know, intellectually engaged and doing something mm-hmm. meaningful. Um, and so that's how I uh, was able to find a calling in terms of staying with natural history. And then um, when I went to Borneo, I decided that a really important role is being a, an intermediary between scientists and the public. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be a writer to communicate what scientists were studying and learning for the public. So I started becoming a writer uh, to write about natural history. And it wasn't until like 10 years later that I discovered that there's actually a real role for leading people in groups and teaching people through groups. And I love, you know, sharing the natural world with people in groups. And so I've been leading thousands of outings and classes and workshops. And so a mix of writing and a mix of teaching. I I love that you found a way that you, that you saw, that you, Hmm. that you were striving for this scientific academic life Mm -hmm. and then when you got there it wasn't it wasn't what you wanted it wasn't what you hoped for and then you've just forged your own path you found a way to do what you wanted to do which was to be close to nature and to find wonder in every day yeah and the challenge was finding a path to be in nature every day but I don't want to just wander around in nature Mm -hmm. like sing through the flowers and stuff like that. I want to like be really deeply intellectually engaged and reading scientific literature and like telling stories and figuring everything out. And um, uh, so that was the hard path to figure out. Mm. So you, you mentioned science and you also mentioned being a naturalist. And I wonder if what's the distinction, what's the difference between a scientist and a naturalist in your mind? Well, being a scientist is a really rigorous uh, professional path. Mm. Uh, you know, you there's a really you have to everything's peer reviewed, everything's mm-hmm. really rigorous. There's a process, and it has to be accepted by your community. A naturalist is just like free form, like you're just mm-hmm. in 
engaged in nature and like just, you know, experiencing things and sharing things, personal experiences, mm -hmm. emotions, feelings, colors, textures. You can't do that in science. So I just didn't like that rigid mindset. Yeah. And I guess a scientist, especially when you get to the PhD level, you're specializing, you're going into one tiny area, whereas a, a naturalist is someone who can roam. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love the ability to just, yeah. So, I mean, I, I'll study water systems and geology and weather patterns and the little insects and what they're eating and the bacteria inside of their stomach. And I'm telling all of that in one story in one moment yeah. with a group of people that's being yeah. a naturalist. It's like just mm -mm. alive in the wonder together, you know? So yes. Alive yeah. in the wonder together. That's, that's, that's mm -hmm. it. <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> and yeah, it's a, I mean, I love the process of sharing. I mean, we're all trying to figure out what it means to be alive together at this yeah. time in our history. You know, every, Every generation, every moment in history, everyone together has to figure out what it means to be alive and to deal with the challenges of your time. And we're all helping each other learn together. And I really believe in that. And so when I get out with a group on a nature outing or in a class or anything, I'm like, you know, like, what do we all see? What do you see? What do you see? What's your experience? What can you bring? Let's let's just riff together and figure this out. I'm not coming in as someone who has the answers. Let's just explore yeah. and look at the evidence that we can all see together and and wonder together. Yeah, it's alive. That's mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah. So I love also um, to hear about my guests place in the world. So the environment where you live and what you see when you step outside, I'd love for you to describe what your place is like. Uh, I'm a newcomer in Northern Washington on the Canadian border and uh pretty much kind of the end of the road except in summer when the snow mount, melts in the mountains you can get over the mountains so i'm on the um the big mountain chain in the western united states is the cascade mountains it runs all the way down into the sierra nevada down into mexico and up into the alaska it's this massive mountain chain that runs the full length of the west coast and i'm just over the crest on the east side so we're kind of in the rain shadow the west side gets hundreds of inches of rain a year and uh, so then the clouds stop at the crest and then they break up to the east. And so we're kind of more of a desert area. And where I'm at, we are surrounded by two and three quarter million acres of wilderness, a little wow. tiny, little tiny village surrounded by vast wilderness with like hardly any trails or anything. It's an incredible wilderness. We have maybe have grizzly bears. We have wolves, we have wolverines, lynx, just incredible wilderness here. Moose. So, so you don't have to go far to find wildness. No, I don't. <laughs> many trails <laughs> and many areas where there are no trails. That it's just absolutely <laughs> crazy wild. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So you talked about being a writer, and mm -hmm. I'd love to go into that because it's something that is quite. Um, yeah. It attracted me to your to your work, mm -hmm. and you've written a book called language making nature which you describe as a handbook for think a handbook and thinking manual for the craft of creating new words and i love this idea it's completely intriguing i'd love to talk more about this book mm -hmm. yeah uh, and i also get a lot of uh questions and curious comments from people like how do you go from being a naturalist to writing a book about language and for me it seems like a seamless transition mm. so one thing is i grew up as a kid uh, being really intrigued by the mystery of scientific names and knowing that you could take words apart into their Greek and Latin roots and there's a story there. And uh, so I was always really intrigued by that idea that you could take words apart. And, um, and then at the same time, uh, as I spent so much deep time in nature and in the natural world, I just always felt like there were so many experiences and so many memories and so many things so many connections that there's no words for mm. and so i just wanted to like use to combine those two things and use the fact that you can make words out of the pieces of other languages to name things that you're experiencing so i think it's really important for us as naturalists who are trying to communicate really unique values and experiences in nature and emotions that you experience in nature 
we need we were trying to communicate those to people and share those with people and there's a great opportunity there to name those things so and as i worked on the book what i realized the sort of the premise of the book is that whoever comes up with the names shape the dialogue of your time and right now it's corporations giving us names like, you know, Apple computer, iPad, you know, I mean, corporations are always giving us clever names with the newest gizmo that we have to buy. And that's basically what we talk about and think about. And so the question I had is, well, why don't we name the values that matter to us mm. as a people? So that's powerful. If we don't name those values, no one's going to talk about them. They're not going to get passed on. They're not going to become part of the conversation. So we have to begin naming the things that matter to us. And I've always thought like, well, why aren't naturalists creating their own words? You know, we're out in nature doing all these incredible things. Why don't we create words to name these amazing colors and textures and forms and experiences and memories and emotions that we're having in nature? Let's just invent our own words for them and make them part of the conversation. Absolutely. That's a really powerful statement. That who, mm -hmm. whoever's making up the new words is controlling the dialogue, the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, language is such a, an, a living, evolving thing that if, if a language, if, if a word isn't used, it, it disappears. Yeah. And that, that idea that we can create, yeah, you've said so many things in that one, in that mm -hmm. one passage, yeah. um, yeah. that this, that, um, scientific names actually do tell a story and they mm -hmm. are invented. And when you pick them apart with their Latin roots, yeah, that sometimes there's a lot of humor in there sure. and there's a, there's yeah. a lot of, um, interest in, <laughs> yeah, that That's you've said point. so many things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh yeah, go ahead. That's that's a really great no. point you're making. I just like my brain's going a million places right now. Yeah, but... me too. I don't really know what to focus on because there's so many things there. But yeah, um, yeah that. Um, so what that... I was gonna say is that. Um, sorry. Uh, what no, I was gonna go say ahead. is, uh, it's one thing to just make up words, but what's gonna really make them stand out is if you use them in the telling of a great story. Yeah. That's what's gonna make them live in your culture. You can't just sit around making up words and putting them together and then throwing them out there and putting them on a, mm -hmm. a website or an internet or something like that. <laughs> no one's going to do anything with a bunch of words. You have to use them to express meanings and emotions and feelings and concerns that people really have and then use it in the telling of a story. Then it does the work for you. It just gets used by everyone. So. Yeah, I'm. I actually wanted to talk to you about this because I'm absolutely intrigued by this idea of storytelling and the mm -hmm. power of storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think that storytelling is inside of every human being because it's part of the. It's part of human history. It's something that, you know, we evolved telling and listening to stories, and that was part of our survival. Mm -hmm. You know, we mm -hmm. learned about what's safe, yeah. what's not safe, where to go, yeah. where not to go. Mm -hmm. um, so storytelling is innate in humans mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. maybe we have lost some of that knack or some of us have lost mm -hmm. the knack um but it's such a powerful and important part of human yeah. history and and yeah. I, I wonder about that what storytelling in nature means to you and how that has played out in your mm -hmm. in your life yeah i think it's really important uh as a naturalist and i think it's what people really like about going on a, a nature walk mm. uh so you can just lead a walk and or be a naturalist and point out the names of things you can name each species you see um and no one's going to remember that that's mm. not that they don't have the capacity to remember a bunch of new names and so you're not going to really Im impact people so what really matters is if you can weave together a story that explains or opens up the world to people in a way they've never looked at the world before mm. then that's what they're going to remember. That's what's going to open up their hearts. That's what's going to help them understand what they see every day. And that's a story. You know, I mean, the material for that story comes from either all of your experiences in nature, what you see and observe or find out from other people alongside what you can read in scientific literature. But a lot of that stuff is kind of dry and disjointed. You have to weave that together in some way. So that's the story. That's the making of the story. And what I always do for my walks um, is that I study and study and study and study just insane amounts, have tons of information, forget all of it, put the books away and just go out on a walk yeah. and just improvise in the moment, you know, and just let things flow out of the space that I don't even know where it comes from anymore. 
Uh, and then it's also, you know, people ask questions, people make comments, and it's like we're all participating together in this dialogue that just shapes and molds and changes. And it's really exciting because everyone can see that we're all participating in the making of a story together. It's not me standing up as yeah. a leader and telling a story. I'm creating a space where everyone is telling and making the story together as our conversation just unfolds with wonder, like, look at that color, look at that leaf, yeah. look at that insect. <laughs> and we're all just, we're making up the story as we go. What, what is that doing? What's happening here? Oh, this is interesting. What does it remind you of? And the story evolves out of our shared experience. And that just makes my heart go warm. I just love that experience with people. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting what you said before about uh, being the link between scientific knowledge and mm. maybe a lay person. And it reminded mm -hmm. me of my own university experience mm. where you might be in a lecture and someone knows so much and yet they can't take it out of mm -hmm. their own brain and put it mm -hmm. into yours. But it was the ones who were storytellers. It was mm -hmm. the lecturers who were storytellers who we, we rushed to go to their lectures because we learned so much. Oh, and, that's great. And I think it's the storytelling element that, that yeah. is that passage between yep. science and, and lay people. Absolutely. And, you know, I want to honor the work that scientists do uh, just because oh, yeah. their focus is so intense and they ask really important questions and get incredible insights. Yeah. So the magic of a creator, you know, an artist is to lift those pieces out of that matrix and bring them to life with other layers of, that people yeah. can really connect with. The scientist is often struggles to like connect with what people's emotions and life experiences are, but you know, creators can do that. Artists can do that. So mm. I love that. Yeah, I, th I think that all these pieces are important. All, mm -hmm. all the pieces of the puzzle, mm -hmm. collecting the knowledge, sharing the knowledge, receiving it. Yeah. Each, each person's role. I mean, science is an amazing tool for that and mm -hmm. incredibly important. Yeah. And communicating that is important as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, uh, it's uh, the work of tens of thousands, uncountable numbers of people dedicating their life to studying yeah. one species or one ecosystem or one topic, yeah. they they have incredible rich experiences. It's just a matter of trying to tease it out and bring it to bring it to life. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And I wonder about this idea of new words and words to help us communicate about difficult things. And I'm thinking about you know, we're experiencing new challenges ecologically with climate mm -hmm. change, peak oil, this sort of thing, dramatic species mm -hmm. loss. And I wonder mm -hmm. about your thoughts on new words and how they can help us communicate about new challenges. Yeah, uh, that's what they do. That's absolutely mm -hmm. right. So, I mean, there's so many new ideas happening right now and new realizations that humans have probably never had before because of the scale, the change. Uh, so we need... We need some really good words to capture that. So, I mean, people mm. come up with Anthropocene, like this is yes. a new geologic time. That's a really useful concept, you know? Yeah. Uh, just, I mean, the words are part of ecological literacy. So any, any way we can find to communicate to people what's going on in the natural world is going to be meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. I love this word, Anthropocene. It's very... Mm -hmm. It, it sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And that's what new words can do. They can be, uh, they can encapsulate ideas really mm -hmm. poetically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's no right answer. I mean, you, uh, everyone creates, you create whatever word you want, but you don't get to decide whether it gets used by your culture. Yes. <laughs> I mean, this, I, I think of yeah. it as like, you're just an artist and you're like throwing out, throwing all these beautiful things out there and what gets used is up to culture and, time you don't get to decide that but your job is to create juicy material <laughs> that might get used <laughs> yeah juicy material is it yeah and um and this and i love this idea you've talked about community you've talked about the dialogue and that's mm -hmm. what i mean language is so fluid language mm -hmm. words come in they get molded yeah. they get left behind or they get changed or they get they help we hold on to them but yeah 
it's like a flowing river almost you it can can shape a stone but you don't get to decide Mm -hmm. in what way that's true and the hard part is we're all brought up in school with the thinking that there's only one way to spell there's only one way to use words grammatically correct and those are good things it makes it makes everything more efficient and we're able to communicate ideas more efficiently but that's not always the case. I mean, there's there's a place for wild creativity with language, yeah. and people forget that. They get caught up in the side of efficiency. Um, but that's what keeps languages alive, is the wild creativity. This makes me so happy, wild creativity <laughs> in language. This is the best. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I'm thinking, oh, you, this conversation is just, I've got so many ideas and I don't know where to focus but um I love language I've been studying French for a long time and Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by um how different languages um have different focuses I found that French has many many extra Mm -hmm. verbs Mm -hmm. that English Mm -hmm. doesn't have Mm -hmm. and English has things to describe Mm -hmm. concepts that French doesn't have and I'm fascinated about this idea that that a yeah. language can be rich in verbs or it can be um, yeah. rich in other things. For example, there's not there's a word in English which is called safe, mm-hmm. where I'm safe, and I use this word often to describe emotionally safe. Mm-hmm. And yet in French, you can say en sécurité, which is like I'm physically safe, but there's mm-hmm. nothing really equivalent like mm-hmm. of a safety, emotional mm-hmm. safety. Mm-hmm. Um I just find the whole concept of language and the fluidity of language and how how French is adopting English and English is adopting French and I mean they they English grew out of French but um yeah I don't know what I'm saying well we we all have the the lenses of our time and what we're brought up with uh, but the point you're making is really important is that there's other ways that language can work and English mm. I mean it's true mm. for some other languages English is very noun driven we're all about mm. objects and endpoints and pieces that you can count and control and manipulate mm. and other languages the classic examples native american languages are just verbs they're very verb rich mm. because you're mm. you are being you know you're mm. existing you're not a thing you're the act of being that thing yeah and it totally changes how you think about relationships and ethics and places um yeah and, it's important to stay in that mindset. So for instance, I mean, like a section of my book, uh, Language Making Nature, um, talks about punctuation and spaces mm-hmm. between words. We take those things for granted. Mm-hmm. Yet that was invented by the church, the Christian church, as a way to control people's thinking. And that didn't exist before. They invented the idea of putting spaces between words and every word had to have the spaces in the right place and punctuation had to shape sentences in a certain way. That was simply a way to control people and their thinking. Um, and so it's an invention. It's an artifact. It's not the way language has to work. You can take punctuation out. You can take spaces out. And a matter of fact, for 2,000 years, languages were written without any spaces between words. And people had no problem reading words and stuff. Wow. And children until the age of five have no problem reading a page with all the spaces taken on between words. <laughs> they have to be taught to insert the spaces It's Mm -hmm. an artifact and people don't realize that they think that that's the only way to use language. And there's several incredible books on this topic. Uh, It completely changes the way your cognitive framework works in your mind. When you take spaces out between words, it absolutely Mm. fundamentally changes how the mind works and engages with the world. And that's an important thing to realize and play with. But you know, those are the kinds of things I like, like why not, why not take spaces out of words and play with what that does and learn yeah or uh, you've reminded me of the poet e.e e. cummings who mm-hmm. never used um capitalization or punctuation and when reading e.e e. cummings poetry there is something important mm-hmm. in the lack of those things because it wouldn't yep. be the same poem with punctuation yeah yeah and all of these things uh are not far from being a nature for me i mean yeah. like uh, i i I have the same feelings and my mind is doing the same things when I'm thinking about language and words in this way as Mm -hmm. when I'm outside watching birds and 
and trying to identify flowers, my mind is in that same space. I think there's a some connection here that I'm still trying to figure out how and what that is. But uh, to me, they're kind of this just different facets of the same puzzle that we're trying to figure out here. Yeah, interesting. And you've mentioned a few times the word play, and mm-hmm. I wonder what play means to you. <laughs> uh, I think it's probably my rebellion against all of the... <laughs> The rules and obediences we have to have growing up. I mean, that's probably one reason I've never had a real job, not able to work in teams and uh, it didn't go to school and stuff like that. Cause I just, I don't like being held in place. I just want to, to go out in the world and experience and, and, you know, and not have rules. <laughs> so it's my rebellion. That's what play means to me, I think. <laughs> when you're playing with words, say, out in nature and using these different methods to, to create new words, what do you do with the words afterwards or is it the process that's important? Do, you, do, do those words that you create then find their way into your lexicon or do you, into your vocabulary or, do, or is the process what's important and it's ephemeral and, the, and they're gone because it was that moment that was important. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm pretty much the worst practitioner of my own teachings. <laughs> so I'm all about like coming up with the process and teaching people about it, but that doesn't mean I use mm-hmm. it myself. Like, yeah. like nature journaling even or something like that. I could teach a class mm-hmm. on nature journaling, but it doesn't mean I do it myself. <laughs> so I, I'm such a teacher. I love uh, figuring out how to explain things and teach things and give people good ideas that they can take those tools and run with them. But that doesn't mean that I'm a creator who runs and plays with these my own tools even. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So, but I'll play with, um, I don't uh, like, uh, I have written a lot of books, but I haven't written a book for a while. So, and I'm working with video now. So I don't really mm-hmm. have a, a place to put new words. Mm. Uh, like I'm not writing things and putting things out for people to see and think about like I have spent my whole life doing. Um, mm. So in my field notebook, you know, I'll play with, I like playing with word fragments mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll play with pieces of words or just a couple letters out of a word. And I'll put it together with some couple other word, uh, a couple other fragments from another word and just push them together and, you know, use that as my note taking system. So that's how yeah. I do it. Yeah. I, I was reading um, one of the um, posts on your blog and it had this sort of breakdown, a series of wordplay and different words mm. coming together. And it just made me smile so much because I could, it, it almost was like tumbling down the rapids of a river or something. It just felt like an experience oh. just going with you from that, from the start to finish of that, of that wordplay. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And in itself, that is, um, yeah, like I said before, like the, it can be that tumbling down the rapids experience that is yeah. what it's all about, not yeah. necessarily coming up with a unique word that's then going to yeah. be in the dictionary, yeah. just, the, just the fun and the joy and the play of that. Yeah, I mean, that's what we should do. We should just do that play and experimentation. And if out of our lifetime, one new word enters the lexicon because of that play, mm-hmm. that's great. But if not, mm-hmm. we've had fun playing with the material that we love. Yeah, and not only that, I mean, you learn more about nature by by playing with these words because, like you said, you're looking at roots, you're looking at mm-hmm. prefixes and suffixes and what what's that all about and what are the Latin roots and stuff like that. So you're learning as you're playing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And your book is modelled on the idea of a nature walk. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I put that in an introduction that uh, I modeled it on the idea of a nature walk. So I spent my whole life leading nature walks, which means I don't have a preordained order. I don't have chapters. It's just like we're walking together through a landscape and whatever pops up, we talk about and observe and then web from that to the next topic and to the next topic. And so I just modeled the book on that. Like there's... Uh, there is an index because I was asked to put an index in, but I didn't want to put an index. <laughs> I didn't want chapter of contents. I didn't want an index. 
<clears throat> I wanted people to just dive in and start reading it or to open it to any random page and read the section without being connected to another section. Uh, so that's how it's modeled on a nature walk. Mm -hmm. It's also mm -hmm. modeled. So the book consists of, I forget how many sections are in it, 150 sections or something. That's a guess. Um, and each section is kind of a standalone and kind of fits around it. But each section, when I wrote it, I took, I would work on that section, write it. And then I would go out on long walks in nature and kind of mm -hmm. mull over the ideas and see if they resonated and came alive for me when I was in nature. So I kind of tested each section against a nature walk in remote wilderness areas. I'd be hiking and thinking about that and kind of holding that text up to the world. Does this mean anything to me out here where I really care or does it Ooh, not yeah. work? You know, and then that was the ultimate test for each section of the book was carrying that idea with me on long walks in nature. So that's how it's also modeled on that. That's beautiful. And something, you know, we're talking about words and w words in different places. And um, the word that they use in Britain, instead of hiking, they usually call it a ramble. Mm -hmm. And I love this idea of a ramble because it suggests to me like sort of a desultory um, going from place to place without any yeah. strict mm -hmm. plan. And and that's what's coming to mind when you talk about that, not having, not necessarily wanting or needing an index, that it's just a bit of a ramble mm -hmm. through thoughts about nature. Yeah. And I wanted to get away from that whole framework of books. So we expect books to have I don't know, a narrative table contents index, you know, like there's a framework that we can go into and it holds our mind as we go through it. And for me, that feels too constraining. That's not how we mm. engage with nature. And I feel like mm. the process of dealing with nature or language in nature should be as wild and ruly and, you know, untended yes. as nature is. So yeah, I, was trying, I, I love was trying that. to duplicate that experience with words. Yeah. And I feel the same way about my nature journal. I love to use pictures. Pictures is my first sort of go-to when I'm nature journaling or connecting mm -hmm. creatively with nature. Um, but I love to have just um, a rambling shambles. <laughs> I'm not like um, structuring my page or making mm -hmm. it exactly um, perfect. It's exactly. just like an ecosystem, like a it, it's all there, all mm -hmm. intermingling on the page. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Henry David Thoreau used the word sauntering, which is another good word. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love the, the idea. Use, use the word juicy, but yeah, there's these words that we um, don't use every day, um, right. but they, they bring so much richness, don't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Tell me about nature writers that have inspired and influenced you. Well, it's funny you ask because I was just thinking about that, about, about rich words we don't use very often. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, a writer that I really like a lot is Barry Lopez, who just passed away recently. And uh, his books are so rich and so dense and so beautifully written. And it's the mm -hmm. kind of writer that you you almost need a dictionary with you to look up <laughs> words because he's not using like really complex technical words. He's just using amazing old words that have kind of been left behind and lost yeah um and uh and then henry david thoreau is also a huge influence on me if you've read mm. any of his work uh, what he was doing is like no one else has ever done so it's incredible to read his work including his journals yeah yeah Another another good writer is Robert McFarlane. You know, oh work, my goodness! You know, yeah, I love Robert McFarlane, and I I find his work um, transports me to wherever yeah. he is. He's just got this ability to drop you in. He's got one mm -hmm. that's all one book that's all about the mountains, and mm -hmm. and when you read that, it's just like that's you great. feel it. Yeah. You feel it. You feel yeah. it. Yeah. Mm -mm. And and he go on. Oh, well, I was going to say he and I are kind of working on the same project. So he's, it seems like he's more interested in bringing old words old forward words. in time. Mm. And I'm kind mm. of coming at it from like, let's create old words or create new words from the pieces mm. of old words. But it's the same idea. Like, let's, let's like name the natural world with this beautiful language that's possible, you know? So it's yeah. kind of like a yeah. color, like 
the vast, vast majority of people have so few words to use for color, whereas color is the most amazing thing in our world. And we don't have any rich language around it, you know, except you're, unless you're a specialist. But even then, the words don't really mean a lot to in daily conversation or emotions. I mean, you think about yeah. being able to express emotions with words. I mean, people can go, well, they're sad and happy and mm, uh, yeah. angry, and then they run out of words, you know, like, whereas emotions are incredibly rich and varied, and we don't really have a language for that, you know, so... Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that we could be just diving in and naming in our world around us to bring richness to all of our lives. Yeah, I love that idea that you in, enrich your experience by mm-hmm. by naming. And yeah. you can see that I am crazy about color and I love um I love that idea of naming things, not just yeah. that's not just blue, but it's it's mm-hmm. this blue that means something to you and you mm-hmm. you create meaning by mm-hmm. by naming that. Do you yeah. name think colors around you often? Um, I think about it a lot, uh, but yeah. I don't have a lot of words to draw on. I mean, mm-hmm. like uh, uh, there's a classic old book for museum uh, workers that names all the colors uh, from the 1900s. It's a beautiful old book where the guy hand painted every color swath. And the, yes, there's like I have this hundreds of names, but what are you going to do with that? Like he has like five pages <laughs> of green colors. Yeah, so, yeah. And it's amazing to give all these different green colors names, but what are you going to do mm. with that then? Who are you going to talk to about that, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe it's again, yeah, maybe it's a personal growth experience because for him, I'm sure, like, because he had um, names for, um, I, I think he sort of categorized it like animal, vegetable, mineral for each of the colors. Like, mm-hmm. can you can you find um, shell shell white or whatever it was um animal vegetable mineral and i mean think of the depth of experience and nature connection that that person would have had in just the exercise of creating that so maybe it's um maybe it's about every person doing that for their own environment for their own experience well i think what's important is just is having fun with yeah with, yes, uh, not making it. Yeah, a, yeah not a trying task to turn it to into do. something. Yeah, mm. um, or like you're trying to make money from it or Mm-mm. change the world with it. If you love color, spend your life mm. being in color and studying color and naming color, mm. and it doesn't matter whether you're ever able to do anything with it. Maybe you will, but you don't have to go into it thinking I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to do something significant with this or change yeah. the world with this. Just play and have fun and do it because that's your passion and you love it. Yeah. And as a, like, as a writer, there's not a lot I can do with complex color names, but as an artist, Mm. maybe that Mm. sensibility and knowing 500 shades of green would help me be a better artist. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not an artist, but as a writer, there's not a lot I can do with 500 names of green. (laughs) like what am i going to do with that i can't explain it on a page like well this one's slightly bluer than and i've lost the whole spirit of the story i'm trying to tell (laughs) yeah yeah but if if it describes like if it brings you back to a moment say you saw this particular bird with a blue breast on Mm -hmm. that particular nature walk and that means something to you then that's again like it's it's the putting it down on paper. That's mm-hmm. the power of nature journaling and nature yeah. writing. The putting yeah. it down on paper cements it inside you, yes. doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah, and yeah, the because it's the moment of engagement and staying yeah. with it longer, like continuing the inquiry into the moment, yeah. not just like jotting something down and then moving quickly to the next thing, but the moment of inquiring and asking and coming up with more questions or more ways mm-hmm. to express it keeps you there long enough that it enters your long-term memory and that's just a beautiful idea exactly yeah tell me about the importance of your notebook because i i heard you speak about this um this experience in borneo and how um Mm -hmm. you realize the power of a notebook and i wonder about that yeah wow i wonder where you heard me say that but that's very true so um the experience in Borneo was really important because my job for 13 months was to go out every day before the sun came up and hike. It, we were extraordinarily remote in areas that mm-hmm. no humans had ever been in before. And our job was to hike through the, the jungle, the rainforest for 
you know, 10, 12 hours a day. And I wouldn't see people until dinner time every day for 13 mm -hmm. months, you know, and write down everything we saw. And uh, so that was my job for 13 months was just mm -hmm. take notes on what we observed. And I got so used, I'd never done this in my life, but I got used to the practice of having a pocket notebook, pulling it out and writing down any little fragment of idea, a couple words that came to my mind, a fragment of a memory, you know, a fragment of an observation. If you like, oh, I'm going to remember that. And then 30 seconds later, you're seeing something else and you've completely forgotten that. So just the, yeah. the habit of fluidly pulling out the notebook and writing down every little thing, no matter how trivial that crossed my mind, that seemed significant at the moment it was occurring. And that mm -hmm. became a lifelong practice. So I ended up with, uh, I don't know, 150, 200 notebooks, pocket notebooks now. I never <laughs> abused them, which is amazing. But I love the process of carrying that and jotting down any little fragment that crosses my mind and just writing it down, just acknowledging it and capturing it. And maybe it does become something at some point in some other way that I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. And again, maybe just the process does, it changes mm -hmm. your your mental flow or pushes you in a direction that you might not have gone if you hadn't written probably it down. and it's also for me it's a kind of honoring so yeah. like uh for many many years of my life i would carry the pocket notebooks and i would write down every species i saw mm. uh, or, or if i didn't know what i would make notes so i could look it up later and my notebooks mm. are just like lists of uh, you know, 100, 200 things that I saw in the, that every bird, every flower, every insect, I'd write down its name in my notebook. Mm. Why? I have no idea. You know, what am I going to do with a list later? There's no other notes, there's no <laughs> observations. It was just an honoring of the names mm. and staying mm. in that flow of practicing the names. And, yeah. um, and I have spent my whole life struggling with the process of naming because I feel like naming is a kind of constraint. It limits your thinking. As soon as you give something a name, you stop engaging with it. And so I always felt like I always struggled with that, that I was right. My, my attention to something was writing down its name. And then my mind was always mm. in this, uh, my brain I'm walking is just naming thing, name, name, mm -hmm. name as I walk. And I'm not like in the moment or anything like that. And so I struggled with that my whole life. And then what happened, which I think is incredible. Like at some point I became, I knew all the names so well that I stopped naming and my, my mind shut off and now I can walk for hours in nature and I don't have a single thought or if I have mm. a, if I have a thought, I just let it go. I just like am in absolute total peace, but I still know everything, everything I see, I know it, but my mind doesn't go to naming. I don't have to go to observing. I just, am just in the moment walking in nature. And that's an, I feel like that's like an epiphany. It's an amazing experience. It's hard to even communicate what it feels like to just walk for hours with my mind completely at peace and just absorbing everything, just letting everything flow through me. But I don't have to grab it, give it a name, yeah. you know, yeah. give it an, an observation, give it a number. I just let things flow through me and just flow and just stay continuously in the moment of just opening up everything and letting it come through. And that has been life changing. It's an incredible experience. So that I focus That's on wonderful. that. I it keeps me from like being a creator that I might want to be. Like I don't get to write. I don't get to keep a nature journal. I don't spend time sketching and stuff like that. I just like go out and I love doing these long, flowing days mm -hmm. where I'm just in nature and just highly, highly attuned to every sound, every smell, every color, everything. And just letting it flow through me and being fully open to the moment. And that's a weird way of being and a weird way of expressing myself. But I love that. It's like the highest pinnacle I could imagine reaching. Yes. And I 100% understand that. And I think some of the most powerful moving experiences in our lifetime mm. are when we're in that state mm -hmm. in nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's probably why people like nature. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are nature and we forget that so mm -hmm. easily, but mm -hmm. what you've described is like you said, it's the it's the highest. It's it's what yeah. it what is what brings us to the mm -hmm. moment, mm -hmm. what brings us peace. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm so interested and sometimes I ask my guests about the head and the heart of their nature journal experiences and what you've described, you've used some words You've talked about opening people's hearts. You've mm -hmm. talked about emotion, 
You've mm-hmm. talked about presence. And I'm wondering about that for you, about your experiences with the heart and with the mind and how you divide those two things or if you do and what that means to you. Uh, I don't. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know how to answer that. I think mm. it's just, uh, I just, just am in the flow of it all. And I don't, mm. I'm not, uh, yeah, I think I'm just trying to be in both. And mm. so like, I'm just trying to think about like when I lead a walk, cause that's when I'm engaging with people and that's when my heart is coming out because I'm connecting mm. with other humans and I'm sharing mm. and I'm opening up the world. I want them to come away from a walk, having the most incredible experience of their life, like mm. a, a, from a single walk, change forever how they see the world and, and mm. nature. So I'm fully in heart with other people. Uh, but at the same time, I'm like telling incredibly complex scientific stories and weaving together something. So it's it's just the same thing. I'm like giving people with all of my heart this amazing, mm. rich information, like let's take this knowledge and go as far as we can together as a group with it. What can we all learn together with our shared, you know, hard experience, you know, like whether yeah. it's a personal experience or something you've read or something you've always wondered about, let's pursue it together and see where it goes. So I think it's kind of the same thing. I don't, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I can see that when you're alone in nature, you're experiencing something incredibly powerful and you want to be able to take that and and give it to someone else mm-hmm. in your walks mm-hmm. yep. you know you want them yep. to come away and say this yep. is possible you can wander around mm-hmm. for two hours mm-hmm. without any thoughts and yep. just be in joy and yeah yeah and this is uh, how you do it <laughs> yeah i i mean the one reason i focus on that when i'm walking by myself is i just want all of my spirit to be so connected with nature and like mm-hmm. just in the body of observations and moments and emotions uh, without having to name it or categorize it or collect, catch it in my notebook or my journal or something mm-hmm. like that. So that when I am teaching people or sitting at my desk and writing, I can just open up that flow and it's there yeah. in me. Yeah. And I, I don't know where it comes from. I mean, I'll sit down or when I'm on a walk, I'll start talking on a walk and I have no idea where the things I'm talking about come from. But just like I'm opening up this well and things come out and it can go for two hours, just like riffing on the moment. And I don't know where it comes from. Like, I'm not like shaping it. It's just like I'm standing back with everyone else, like watching this flow of stuff come out. And I'm like amazed, as amazed as everyone else. And I think yeah. that comes out of endless hours of just walking in nature and being completely open to everything, observing everything following animals watching animals Mm. you know smelling flowers and then when i talk i'm speaking from that space yeah 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 i i am so behind this i so when i teach nature journaling i often talk about um how we can bring this idea of curiosity to the world and when we are curious about things we realize that everything around us is interesting everything around us can be a source of wonder mm-hmm. and then when we when we realize that we live in this world that is infinitely fascinating you you can so easily drop into this place of joy because how can you be surrounded <laughs> by these wonders without feeling joy and mm-hmm. and it sounds like that's what you bring to your nature walks is like yeah. look at look at where we are mm-hmm. look at what we get to experience in this moment yeah. how how can we not just wander around with our eyes wide open, with our hearts wide open? Because it's yeah. it's incredible. Well, I'm deeply envious of people that are uh, have made nature journaling a practice. I I, like, I have huge imagine, uh, admiration for people that are like they're able to like be with their journals and sketching and coloring and taking notes and like just creating a narrative across the pages and image and questions and colors and i just i i don't have that and i wish i did i'm so envious of it because it's a just a it's like being an apprentice to nature and like just bringing your creative spirit to just learning as nature teaches you and and then you have a record of it later which is so incredible and i don't have those things and uh so i i like i follow the nature journal club on facebook and i look at the things that people 
create, which are so beautiful and so many good questions and so many maps of their imagination going across pages that I just absolutely think it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I wish I could do that. I don't. So I'm just a lonely writer. <laughs> Write a few things. <laughs> I, teach, I teach people about the natural world, but I just, I really admire nature journalers. Being an apprentice to nature is a glorious way of saying that. I love that so much. <laughs> yeah. Let's sit. Let's sit. Let's yeah. sit. Yeah. and listen yeah. let's sit and learn mm -hmm, from mm -hmm. what's around us it's mm -hmm. very special i mean you you are doing that you are doing yeah. that in your own way in my own way yeah. i'm interested in so you obviously have this deep connection and passion for nature and also inside you is a is a desire and a need to share that and you mentioned it before but um i'd love to talk a bit more about it your um you're creating videos for for other people to experience mm -hmm. nature mm -hmm. and i'm wondering about that your experience creating videos and and why you're drawn to this medium as a way of sharing nature with others uh well that's a good question um uh part of it is just a, a lifelong frustration at not being an artist and i've always <laughs> like i'm not a musician i can't draw or sketch worth a darn and I've never learned how to do any of these things. And I just, I've always wanted to be creative and create creative things, but I've been locked in this analytical mind my whole life from earliest age of being a scientist and training to be a scientist and then trying to be a writer, but writing nonfiction for, you know, serious publications and stuff. Um, so I've always been looking for a creative outlet and the video came about because I've spent my life leading nature walks and taking people on, you know, out in nature or giving classes and workshops and stuff. And then COVID came along and there was no longer a way to interact with people in person. Yeah. And so that's when I realized that maybe, and there's a whole new social media world. And I was like kind of curious about that. And so I started putting this together and like, why don't I use videos to capture what I would talk about on a nature walk since I can't do it with COVID. And that way it's always there on the internet be there forever and um it can reach people all over the world much bigger audience so why don't i just try to lead a nature walk with the camera and talk to the camera as if it was my audience so that's where it grew out of and um uh it's uh it's i like it it's fun to do um but i'm my creative side wants to do something different with video and that's what i'm really trying to push towards which is like when I, my entire life, when I listen to beautiful music, whatever song is really capturing my heart and my spirit, I'm seeing incredible nature in my mind's mm. eye. I'm mm. like listening to this beautiful song. I'm like, might start crying or like getting my heart's like doing, going warm. And I'm like, and I'm seeing nature. I'm seeing beautiful places. I'm seeing landscapes. And so the idea of combining beautiful nature footage with beautiful music is to me, that is an that's art. So that's the first time mm -hmm. in my life I've ever had an art form that I feel like I could put beautiful music together with videos. I'm not writing the music. I use other people's music. Um, but to come up with beautiful nature footage and then have the beautiful music and let people's emotions and their own thoughts arise, that's more interesting to me than standing in front of a camera and explaining the parts of a flower or something like that where I'm shaping the entire dialogue and that's all people are thinking about and hearing. It's cool. I mean, I sort of done my life is teaching people, but that's not the kind of video I want to create. So anyway, I'm just exploring with this new world and I love it. So thank you for asking that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so interested in the flow of that because you also create beautiful uh, nature photography mm -hmm. and this nature video. You obviously have to see very deeply and very um you, you obviously have to direct you have to what am i saying mm -hmm. you yeah. have to find what you're looking at you have to you know where to look mm -hmm. you're you're taking a moment with nature you're yeah. obviously bringing a, a whole lot of patience mm -hmm. <laughs> to the yeah. process to to be in the right place at the right time i'm wondering about the do you get in the flow what when you're creating photos and videos um, well, uh, I'll focus on video because that's the main thing I'm trying to do. And like mm -hmm. uh, on Instagram, I do a reel every day. Um, mm -hmm. 
and I did photos for a while. I was doing photos only so I had content for Instagram mm-hmm. uh, to just give people something every day, a little snapshot of nature, something that would be inspiring from me being in wild, wonderful places. Um, but I, it's more satisfying to me to make a little reel for Instagram every day mm-hmm. than it is to put a photograph up. So I focus on that. And you're right. When you're out in nature, you have 360 degree everything going on around you. <laughs> and you have a little lens that's going to point at something and a moment. What is that going to be? And how can you, you yeah. as a naturalist, how can you direct people's eye towards something or a process that's going to be beautiful and of interest? Um, so that's that's what comes in. Like I'm trying to use my naturalist eye to direct yeah. people's attention to something, some subset of this bigger view that's going to be really yes. engaging, especially on Instagram where it's a little vertical strip out of the, even with <laughs> camera gets, you know? So you got to really be thinking about what is that little sliver that you're going to give people that's like a magic window. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah. yeah, that's a beautiful process. And then, uh, I, I'm always, I'm trying to create reels that just like, feel like they're, they're taken out of a dream. Like you watch a little 30, 60 second reel and you just want to stay in that world forever because it's so beautiful and the music's beautiful. That for me is like the little light bulbs go off in my brain. If I can do that, you know, like, oh my God, I, this reel today is so beautiful. I want to watch it forever. <laughs> And that works like that puts people in nature, wherever they are in the world, they might be commuting or on the subway or sitting in some apartment somewhere and they get to see something that just takes them into nature and makes a heart come alive. And if I can do that for people, that's being a naturalist too. It's a different way of being a naturalist. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love that you can bring a little piece of your part of the world to someone else and Mm -hmm. make areas accessible that wouldn't be accessible. We don't have to fly across the world to experience these things. Yeah. Yeah. You might film something in your yard, but with the right context, it's, it becomes the whole world because it's so beautiful and so meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. (laughs) I I love the, um, the overlap between the idea of language and the, the malleability, the, the, evolution of language and what you've been talking about stories and sharing and making a nature experience together. So you talked about when on your nature walks that you don't know what's going to come through you. You just start the process and you're talking and you're getting excited with mm-hmm. others around you. And, and that evolution and that bringing attention in a certain area that it, those two things remind me of each other, the evolution of language and the evolution of the experience that you give to people on your nature walks. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I just think it's lovely. I think that it's alive. What you do is really alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and evolving and so so is nature and it's very related to that you talked to you talked before about how you're still sort of coming to understand and solidify why playing with words um Mm -hmm. feels like being in nature Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and to me that's partly it that it's alive that it's play that it's evolving that it's oh that's great that it (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if uh, you can share with other people, no matter what you're doing, just the uh, the joy of the moment of being fully alive and curious and excited by what you're experiencing and learning and wondering about, no matter what you're doing, but we're doing it in nature. Um, yeah. That's, that's the best gift you could ever give people around you. Even if it's not something they learn or do, to just participate in that moment for a few moments, like together, we all get to be childlike wanderers together. That joy is so palpable and everyone just gets into it and they're giggling and laughing and you can just see people's eyes come alive. And to me, that's like, if we can all do that as a group and share that with each other, that's the best we can do. And if I could do that in nature, that's my calling and my gift, but you could do Mm -hmm. it with music. You could do it with, any kind of storytelling or anything you do, you know, you could do it in the workplace, but just the, yeah. bringing that joy together. Uh, that's just wonderful. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, David, this has been such a great conversation and I'm yeah, I'm really happy you. that we had the chance to talk today. Thank you so much. Me too. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with David. I loved how he knew exactly what he wanted to do with his life right from the age of five and pursued that. Even when it took some twists and turns, he always returned to nature and found ways to make that his life's path. This conversation just got me thinking in so many different directions about the nature of language and how we can play with words to find deeper meaning and connection. Inventing words isn't something that I've thought much about before, but I'm super excited to play with words and explore this process and see what comes from it. David talked about the importance of naming things, not necessarily with their scientific name, but with words that mean something to us as a way to connect. He also spoke about how naming things can sometimes take him away from the moment of total immersion in nature. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts and experiences on this. Does knowing the name of something in nature help you connect? Or is it a kind of endpoint that stops you from going further, like once you know the name, you move on. It's such an interesting thing to think about. In some ways, having a name for a plant you encounter in the forest, for example, it's like learning the name of someone you meet in life. The first thing we do when we meet a new person is to ask their name. It's similar with things in nature, I think, when we know their name, and that could be their scientific name, but it could also be a common name or a name that's local to your area, or just a name that you've created yourself, like David suggests. It's like getting to know that species on a deeper level. But I also know exactly what David was getting at when he talked about being in nature without words, without names, without labels or anything except the being. If you'd like to share your own experiences with this topic or anything we talked about in this conversation, please feel free to write a comment under the podcast episode on the Journaling with Nature website. You can find the link to this in the show notes. Also, while you're rambling through the show notes of this episode, please do visit David's website, social media, and also his YouTube channel. If you need a little nature inspiration or a moment to reset, he has some incredible videos that will leave you feeling connected and in tune with the world again. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week. Mm -hmm.